This is Rugger Matrix America. Welcome, everybody, to the show. This is Alex Goff from RugbyMag.com uh, coming to you for our next show in Rugger Matrix America. Hey, and uh, don't forget to check out the Rugger Matrix international show that's on RuggerMatrix.com. Uh, it's another great show. Uh, we're not on it, but um, I don't know why I'm never on it, actually. It's a good question. Uh, we're, we're coming to you. We're going to have a great guest here with University of Arizona head coach uh, Dave Sitton. But before we get to Dave, uh, you know, it was actually uh, pretty exciting this past weekend because I got to see Pat and Bruce in person on the same weekend. And actually, Pat and Bruce, you guys didn't see each other, but I saw you both. So, Bruce, it was, it was great to see you and watch you struggle to stand on the sideline in the snow and the wind for about four and a half hours uh, watching – endless rugby games yeah it was a little bit tough but it was fun to see I, I wish that the I wish the weather had held out a little bit so that we had gotten a little bit of time to talk you had done a little bit of interviewing Brian Doyle and Toby Lestrange and Mike Tolkien up at the uh up at the AC inside the club keeping yourself warm and toasty yes went and inside I, that's key then I saw the proprietor of USA 7s John Prismak who felt that he wanted to come and see the AC Army game, and then he missed it because he got there late. We started at noon as opposed to one when we normally do, and we only played 30s, so he uh, he was in and out pretty quick. He didn't he didn't want to deal with the cold and the snow, but it was, it was fun. It was definitely a, a good day, and it's always nice to see you, and we don't get to see each other that often, and I think if it was nicer – we would have spent quite a bit more time together. We might have hung out a little bit, and uh, you know, I don't blame everybody for getting out of the cold. As as, as you said, I the minute I could, I went back into the the club. What do you call it? Clubhouse, or it's pretty big for a clubhouse. Yeah, it would be. It, it's it's basically a club. It's a country club with tennis courts, pools, a ballroom, a bar, a dining room, weight room. It's got kind of everything. So the key, the key uh, is, it had a power outlet and it was warm. Um, <laughs> And, and it had beer. I don't know if you took advantage of that, but it does no, have. No, I, I, it did have beer, but they, they were all all the people working there had had a lot of work to do, setting things up and stuff like that. I wasn't bothering them, so I just go and uh, do my thing. And uh, Pat, it was good to see you. We spent, and those people might know that we spent all of last Friday at meetings, the entire day, meetings talking about RugbyMag.com, how to make it better. So we're, we have plans and uh, uh, ideas in place, and we're moving ahead, which is fun. Can we talk yeah. about new hire that you have? You did make a hire at USA Sevens. So Dave Hodges. Yes, Dave Hodges. It's Dave Hodges is uh, now working with USA Sevens and uh, bringing to bear his uh, experience not only as a player and a coach but also as a, a video analyst. And uh, he's got a whole bunch of things. Uh, we're working on some new projects. So uh, some of that stuff will be uh, unveiled later, I think. So it'll be, it's exciting. And not only that, can I, Pat, before you answer, I actually, I actually saw our guest in New York at a Xavier rugby practice. He was here on an, on an Arizona Wildcat. Um, they have a, like New York City Wildcat supporters, and he was here doing that, promoting the NCAA basketball tournament. And so I got to see him too. So it's kind of a wild week of seeing people that I never see. That's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, actually, I want to I want to talk about that a little bit 
when we get Dave on the show. Um, and and Pat, you're uh, you actually survived a full day of meetings and uh, having to see me all day. I didn't even fall asleep once, which is no. the most impressive part. And Congratulations! Then I managed to get out of New York without having to see Bruce. So for me, it was a win-win. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, we're going to be right back on Rugged Matrix America with. University of Arizona head coach Dave Sitton. Uh, stay right here. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. This is Alex Goff from RugbyMag.com here to talk to you about the Hooker Wines line from Lauer Family Wines. Now, this is a group of wines made by people who love rugby. And you can tell even as you open the bottle as their corks have these great rugby stripes on them like the old-time jerseys. But it's more than that. Rugby is about power and finesse, beauty and strength, balancing those two. And these hooker wines are the same. I don't drink a lot of Chardonnay, but I love hooker wine Chardonnay because it's complex. One might even say sort of learned, like that veteran flanker who knows all the tricks. And their Syrah well, is like an inside center who can pass and kick, packs the punch, but has so much more subtlety than that. And, well, get away from the rugby thing for a moment. Their Cabernet is just like steak in a glass. Just awesome. Awesome wines from Napa Valley, made in the spirit of this great game. Check out our Hooker Wines ad on RugbyMag.com or go to LauerFamilyWines.com. That's L-A-W-E-R, FamilyWines.com. Hi, this is Skylar Talley with the University of Texas Rugby Team. We will be competing in the CRC the first weekend of June this year. Uh, We are so excited to improve upon our two past quarterfinal finishes and really push for the cup this year. Come see us. Buy your ticket today at USA7CRC.com. Hook them horns. And we're back. This is Alex Goff from RugbyMag.com. Don't forget to check out RugbyMag.com for the latest news. Also, don't forget to go uh, have a look at our iPad app, which gets you the magazine. So you download the app for free, but then you can subscribe to the magazine. It's actually really inexpensive. You can get old issues, and we're working on a project to get even older issues up there, so that'll be very exciting. Uh, the uh, app for Android Android platform is coming up soon, too. Uh, you can still see Rugby Magazine as a subscriber to RugbyMag.com. Now, uh, we have a guest, and uh, a terrific guest it is, uh, Dave Sitton. We've known you for a very long time, uh, a broadcaster extraordinaire, as well as head coach at the University of Arizona. And uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be back here. It's, uh, it's just when you're talking about rugby apps and droids uh, for the magazine, I just recall meeting Ed Haggerty in the parking lot in Anaheim in 1976 after the first Eagles game and how far the publication has come. It, it yeah, it suddenly it becomes completely virtual. It's a it's a completely different world, uh, and and some things don't change at all. I, I I just wanted to start it off, Dave, by mentioning the 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 trip you took to New York, and I, I you know um, I ran into a couple of parents, uh, actually the Seamus Kelly's parents, but uh, uh, at the New York Athletic Club Army game, and and they were talking about how happy they were to have a coach from outside the the region come by and and see a high school practice talk to the kids things like that and um and and open up kids eyes to what they could you know what what they could do they didn't have to necessarily go to the same college as everybody else goes and i i I wanted your thoughts about whether you think college coaches college rugby coaches recruit enough i mean really do uh face uh facetime recruiting 
Um, and and whether if they don't, maybe it's just because it's really hard. It's hard to find the time or the uh, even the the funding to do it. Well, I think like many things, um, recruiting for college coaches in the traditional sense is just coming online. You know, for years I've been at Arizona. This is my 35th year, and, and this is the first time I've been out running around to high schools because now there are high schools. And you know, I, I come from there when, when 99% of American athletes touched their first rugby ball after they matriculated in college. Now it's an entirely different ball game, and now parents are interested and students are interested and a lot of them were the kids that were going to play football and they were disappointed and hoped there was a rugby club at their school. But now a lot of young athletes are looking at the destination decision based on the strength of the rugby program, and parents are too. So uh, I'm delighted to do it. I spent some time with the Pride program in Washington, D.C. last week, and then I took that Amtrak um, back at the New York and, and uh, had a chance to visit with the kids at uh, Xavier High School and their coaches there as well. So I... I thoroughly enjoyed my, my two visits last week with the uh, high school programs. Were they, uh, you know, were they receptive? Did they, did they ask a lot of questions, or is it more sort of... Uh, no, I think yeah. it was just the novelty of having some guys show up from Arizona. The, the reason it was cold both days, and I was there as a guest at the front end of training. And uh, I could tell that, uh, you know, if you've been around athletes long enough, they don't want to stand on the field and listen to some guy. They, 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 yeah. You know, I, I spoke. I spoke my words quickly and, and said, give us a look, and I'll be back to see them, which I will. I, I always do I'll follow up. So I'm hoping next time around the towel up at uh, Pride and the coaching staff at Xavier will, will allow me to uh, will allow me to, a little bit of time indoors <laughs> as opposed to uh, a very, very uh, brisk day outdoors. Understood. The You know, I remember it wasn't that long ago, perhaps 2008, 2009, speaking of Ed Haggerty, he went down to the – the high school national championships. It must have been in Pittsburgh, and and he wrote a story about the fact that he'd only found uh, three college coaches who had shown up there. Well, you know, I, I don't I don't fault them because again, this is a brand new culture to us. This is new muscle. Uh, we we don't have this as part of our muscle memory that we've been doing it for twenty or thirty years, uh, and, and we can't compare ourselves to intercollegiate sports. Don't forget, generally speaking, ninety nine percent of the programs were Ivy League. All we can tell a young man like I do about the University of Arizona, we've got a wonderful rugby program that's been around for 44 years. We've got uh, great alumni support. The university is very supportive of our program. Uh, here's the education opportunity here. Here's the cultural opportunity of being in the Southwest and um, as much travel as the University of Arizona does, and it gets a lot of people's attention because our closest game is 110 miles away at Arizona State University. Our next closest <laughs> game is 364 miles away at San Diego State. So. We're on the road quite a bit, and uh, luckily we have great facilities, so a lot of teams will come and play us just to get out of the snow, the cold, the wet, or whatever, and uh, and give us some home games. So, uh, again, going back to this phenomenon, we, we don't have scholarships, generally speaking. We don't have scholarships to give players, and, and uh, all we can really do is say, hey, we've got a great opportunity here. If you're going to college, well, give us a look. Dave, I wanted to ask you um... – about uh, your coaching record, you get you're chasing number four hundred, right? You're really close to that number. That's a pretty impressive mark. I know you said you've been at uh, at Arizona for thirty five years, which is impressive in and of itself. But uh, four hundred is a lot of wins. And when I look at the um, the two coaches, the two college coaches, uh, Doc Hudson and uh, and um, uh, Dennis Storer, that are in the USA Rugby Hall of Fame, um, 
that you compare pretty favorably with them in terms of uh, total wins. What would it mean to you to get to 400? And and do you uh, what do you think that uh, does for your legacy? Well, I don't know. It, I've I've said many many times that my legacy is really our legacy because I, yeah, I've been here the entire time. But I look at the number of alumni that have come through our program that have been very impressive people. We we generally speaking we we're we're in the playoffs of every three or four years, and then we're in for two or three years, and then go, we go away again. It's just our cycle. Um, it's a little bit different now because we've changed leagues four years, four straight years now. Uh, one of the things I'm happy about, and I'll answer your question in a second, is that for 25 years of it, we were in the Southern California Union, and we had to play all of our league matches on a double-up basis. So, for instance, with a nine-match league season in Southern California, we played those over four weekends. And it was very difficult to expect great success at the University of Arizona constantly playing Friday, Sunday, Friday, Sunday, Friday, Sunday, with his very little recovery time. But we knew at the time, uh, with finances being the way they were and the degree of sophistication in college rugby being what it was, that we either had to do that or we would be lost in, in a shuffle that, that was not uh, very important. So uh, that was for the longest period of it. Um, when I think back to your question about my legacy, I think it's our legacy. Uh, yeah, I, I've been here a long time, and I chose to do so, and I've enjoyed most all of it. Uh, challenges continue, and and, uh, and I think the thing I've enjoyed the most is is presenting the comp- the concept of competition to young men and how to compete not just on the rugby field but in life as well. Well, I mean, you know, not just looking at the number, but just kind of the way rugby has changed in your time has been remarkable, and the the change in um, the competition structure and all these things has been really really remarkable. Um, but lately it's gotten even crazier to where, as you said, you played in four different leagues in four different years. What, what is it? Just explain to us what the challenge is for a team like Arizona when there are new varsity or quasi varsity programs popping up all over the country that you have to compete against. And, um, you know, teams getting new and, um, avenues to players and new resources and all these things for a, a program like Arizona, which there are a lot of around the country, uh, what are the challenges and what's it like trying to keep up in this kind of new rat race that is college rugby? Well, I think we're, I think we're at the very beginning, not the end or the middle. We're at the beginning of the great shakeout of college rugby. And I think you're going to see a lot of the dynamics change. One of the things that we are seeing right now, and, and uh, in my opinion, is going to be understanding why major college conferences exist. And when I say this, people will say, gosh, I never thought of it that way. Do you notice that when, the uh, say the Pac-12 increased to two teams, or, or the Big uh, the Big 12 lost their teams, and and the big shuffle on the big that the NCAA stays out of it. There's a reason for that. It's because the colleges have a free association to make conferences and align any way they want. And what I see happening in the next few years is going to be a reshuffling of the deck. Whereas your traditional schools, a four-year college, let's say the Ohio State University, I know those people, uh, the University of Arizona, Washington, uh, a lot of your major brands aren't going to go varsity, and they can't. So I see that there will be an association of the major brands, and this is just, again, my opinion, just at the very front of this thing. Um, The major brands will associate with each other very much like traditional colleges do, and the schools that have a different business model where they can, they don't have an NCAA issue, and they can compete, and they can throw money at the varsity level. They can do that, and they will have their association as well. 
but it doesn't make any sense for the Ohio State University or um, the University of excuse me, Colorado University or Kansas or Arizona or, or any of these schools to try to keep up with that type of different business model. And so I just think the competition will be coming to business models and brands, and I think that's going to be a very important uh, future for uh, the game. Well, Dave, with the brands uh, in mind, what do you think about how the the growth of the game is going with the the non-brand varsities, the Davenport and Life University, uh, Wheeling Jesuit, things like that? Uh, Are we going to see a a championship that merges those two concepts, uh, traditional conferences and new conferences, Mm -hmm. or... Uh, are we going to see something different? No, I think I think it'll be stratified. No, I think it'll be stratified. I think I, I think it'll become more pronounced, and uh, and uh, the 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 leadership of this will come from the colleges themselves. Uh, you know, on, on who do we on who we do we associate with? One uh, of the interesting things that we forget about the association in conference for the major sports is that the president of the university is in on it, and they want to have an academic parity with your school. So without without uh, disparaging anybody, uh, the fact of the matter is I, I happen to associate with the seventh largest research institution in the country, the University of Arizona. We have some very high academic standards, and, uh, and they're interested in us if we have a conference association that we have like-minded schools. Don't forget our peer organizations are the University of California. They're Stanford University, uh, UCLA. Uh, these are the sorts of things that the universities want to see occur, and, uh, and I really believe as we move forward in the rugby circles, we are going to have parallels to that as well. Okay, so with that in mind, uh, the development of PAC rugby, the, the, the rugby programs from PAC-12 schools, you got six involved. I'm sure you'd like to get more involved, but uh, I've talked to a lot of coaches. They're very excited, and the players are very excited about playing in conference. Uh, how do you fa- feel about it? I'm, I'm guessing you like it quite a lot. I think I think we're we're, we're all elated. I congratulate all six programs that made the election to uh, supply the inertia. I go back in rugby. It's the same thing as anything else. I go back to what Plato said: the hardest part of any task is the beginning. And it was uh, these six schools saying, you know something, this is the best interest of our school and our sport. Let's do it now. It may cost us some extra money. It may be a little bit unusual this year. But, uh, you know, from Oregon State, California, UCLA, Utah, Arizona State, and Arizona making a decision and following through, uh, I think it's been a great, a great experiment and a great success. And we look forward to continuing it and growing it. Dave, you, um, I, you obviously are well you have a good connection or good relationship with the teams that are in the varsity cup. Um, at least some of them, right. You play them, you played Notre Dame, you, you, you you play Cal, you're going to play Utah. You play all these teams that are in the varsity cup, um, uh, through your pack rugby or through friendlies. You played air force. Is that, you know, the, these teams have signed on to play another two years. And I'm not going to ask you from a varsity cup perspective, but from Arizona, it would seem like you guys are a team that kind of fits the profile of what they, um, look for and the, the, the programs that they want is is that that kind of private um, postseason um, is that something that Arizona would be interested in going forward? You know, we weren't interested this year, and quite frankly, uh, you know, I don't recall getting an invitation, but that's okay. Uh, I I do um, I do think that our school would be interested in any competition that would uh, further the game. I personally, this year, again, going back to our travel schedule and our travel needs. I was looking at that and uh, and uh, seeing how much balancing that against how much more travel we wanted to do inside uh, or excuse me in postseason mode like that. 
So, um, you know, it, it, it's certainly nothing that uh, we would dismiss in the future necessarily, summarily dismiss, but it's not something that we have on our radar screen right now either. What about, you know, you guys are, uh, technically speaking, the Pack Rugby is a D1AA conference. You could apply to be for an at-large bid. Is that something that you guys are looking at? Well, I believe, and again, I'm just reading the tea leaves. I think there's, if I if I understand the, the bracketing correctly, there's going to be one at-large left. And I have to believe that if, if uh, as you mentioned, what's an interesting dynamic is that three of our six teams are in the varsity cup and therefore ineligible for the, uh, the D1AA playoffs. I think that if the, the, the first team that's available has a winning league record that they would probably, and this is, again, just my speculation only, they would get probably a, uh, a nod because those are pretty good brands to have in the D1AA championship. That would be, you know, the three that are available for 1AA are Arizona, Arizona State, and uh, Oregon State, UCLA, Cal, and Utah are in the Varsity Cup. So, um that's uh, that remains to be seen, but I think I think if if I'm in their position, they're probably going to want a team with at least a winning record. That means three wins and two losses in a five-game league's schedule. Now, in our instance, Arizona, you mentioned we did have we've had a win against Notre Dame, we've had a win against Air Force, we've had a win against San Diego State. So we've played some pretty good teams outside the league competition as well. So yeah, we'll we'll wait and see how it shakes out. We've got those three league matches remaining with Arizona State next week. UCLA and Oregon State here, and uh, we'll just uh, see how well we perform at the end. And I want to ask you, on top of this whole conference reshuffle, one of the things that seems to be, um, and this is kind of related to the Varsity Cup discussion, but it seems to be um, a new motivation, and maybe it's not that new, but um, the teams are trying to monetize their games. Um, You know, that's certainly part of the Varsity Cup's plan is to you know, charge a gate, get people to come in and, and see if they can't get some kickback to the schools. Um, and you recently played, uh, when you played Notre Dame, you guys played, if I am correct here, and correct me if I'm wrong, you played at a high school stadium, you you charged admission, and now you did, you gave that money. That was a benefit game. You, you ended up giving it to charity, right? But um, Well, our model, well, no, actually we played in the University of Arizona Women's Soccer Stadium. We sold it out. Okay. Uh, eleven hundred. It's eleven hundred. We, uh, if you take a look at the photographs, it's it's eleven hundred sold. That's we packed it in there, and, and it actually seats legally a thousand. We put eleven hundred in there. <laughs> so um, uh, it was uh, it was a great day for us. Uh, it was ten dollars per head. That was for everybody, uh, and uh, it was a pretty good day for us in that regard. We used uh, with the Parsegian Foundation. Uh, some of that money did go to expenses. That was understood, but because we had an underwriter, one of the local hospitals here, Tucson Medical Center, wrote a massive check, um, and uh, that was directed towards the Persegian Foundation. So the partnership began. Uh, we've elected to have a home-and-home at the uh, University of Notre Dame, and we'll be playing them this fall at their place, and then we'll, we'll reverse course again in two years. Well, to that end, then, I mean, the ability to turn a profit at the gate – is that do you see that being a real, uh, especially when you're playing oh, teams absolutely. like Notre Dame, teams like Air Force? Well, think about it. If if you have a good presentation, and I, I'm starting to look at the the level of play of the athletes uh, for instance at our school and our peer schools that we play, Air Force. You know, I look at the schedule, and we we play attempt to play peers, and um, and so we have Air Force on there. We've got uh, like I said a moment ago, Notre Dame, San Diego State, etc. Plus our league uh, fixtures as well. Uh, I think it's a pretty good product. Now, if you have access, when I say you, if your program has access to a properly 
seated stadium of, say, 1,000 to 3,000, and you have tentacles in the community between your alumni and sponsors and the university itself to sell those games, uh, we're, we're crazy not to. So the University of Arizona now, we have we charge admission to four of our matches every year, uh, including the most recent Notre Dame game. We'll be charging admission for both UCLA and Oregon State as well. And uh, when you consider um, what our ticket price is versus a lot of other prices, and if you want to see a tackle football game, I like to think of our game as being the international tackle football game. Uh, it's it's pretty darn inexpensive to entertain a family and come out and watch the game. So, yeah, let's compete. And, uh, why apologize? You know, we're beyond the stage of apologizing, oh, we're just rugby. No, we need facilities, and we need to build brands, and we need to have competitions that matter, that people understand. And that's part of why I go back to these peer institution items. Uh, if you, if, with no disrespect to anybody, but when you take a look at an Arizona-Notre Dame matchup or a California-Utah matchup or some of these brands, uh, people readily will buy tickets for that. They won't buy tickets for anything. And so that's why I think uh, we have to have a sensible marketing and business plan to, as you say, monetize our college programs. What is um... – a two-pronged question here on the same topic. What is your marketing strategy in terms of selling tickets? How do you go about getting the word out and trying to get your ticket sales up? And and you guys have been a part of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys have been a part of, you know, these kind of marketable games at Infinity Park at a neutral site. What is it the challenge different at a neutral site versus on campus? And, and did you guys get much benefit from playing at a neutral site at a, at a stadium when you played at Infinity? Well, I always think that when athletes are presented with an opportunity to play in a stadium with locker rooms and uh, are treated at the highest level, they respond in kind. So whenever we can play in a stadium, and we have a wonderful pitch on campus that that serves the practice field and for some of our uh, perhaps less marketable events we play on, it's a wonderful rugby pitch, don't get me wrong. But it's different when you charge admission and the lights go on, the public address, and there's a national anthem, and there's a singer, and, and there's some ceremony to it. And all of a sudden, the athletes think that this is important. So anytime Arizona has an opportunity to play in the stadium, we will, we will give it our most serious consideration. So we very much enjoy our, our relationship with Infinity. This is the first year in the last three that we're not going to be playing at Infinity, but we'll, uh, we'll probably re-up with them next year. Uh, the challenge of a neutral site, obviously, is just uh, is just mass. Uh, you know, in Tucson, uh, there's plenty of alumni. It's a, a market of a million. We've got a, a you know for college rugby, we've got a pretty good brand here, and we you know we draw anywhere between 500 and 900 when we play in that soccer stadium, um, and uh, we you know we draw three or 400 when we play on the uh, field outside of it. Um, so that's our market in Tucson. Uh, the county is building a new soccer facility because Major League Soccer is going to train their Western Division in Tucson, so one of the old Diamondbacks, Arizona Diamondbacks spring training facilities, is being reconnoitered for a 3,000-seat stadium, and Pima County has come to us, University of Arizona Rugby, and asked us if we want to move our games there, and we're taking a very serious look at that. We have 3,000 seats, and we have a bigger concession base, and and, uh, quite frankly, off-campus alcohol could be served Last year, the University of Arizona baseball team moved back into the municipal stadium, high court of field, and they were allowed to serve beer. Well, of course, they won a national championship. I'm not prepared to say there's a relationship between the two, but their attendance certainly spiked last year, and I think that we could, uh, on that county facility with 3,000 seats, we could probably build our, 
our fan base, and, and uh, we could also host some additional events. Yes, well, you do have to monetize. We have to monetize as well, so we're going to take a break here on Rugger Matrix America. We'll be right back with Dave Sitton from the University of Arizona. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. And we're back here on Rugby Matrix America with Dave Sitton. And, Bruce, I know you had a question for Dave. Yeah, Dave, I I appreciate the, the like-minded academic institution stuff, but I also have a question about teams that perhaps aren't maybe in your ballywick, but I would imagine there's a value in a, in a game with a team like a life or a team like an Arkansas state. And the reason I say that is, especially as you're a basketball announcer, you would see the value of the, the NCAA tournament and the fact of seeing schools like a George Mason or schools like a Butler who, or even my alma mater, Bucknell, have gone a, gone a round or two in and just kind of makes it a little bit exciting to get an opportunity. And maybe you don't want to do it every week, but I think once in a while, I think that if you were to host a life or an Arkansas State or something of that matter, that you would probably bring as many fans as you would for virtually any of your games. So that I would think that there's value in that because the rugby community is growing in terms of high school. So high school players know these teams. They know they exist in terms of rugby, much very similar to wrestling or water polo or things like that, that the teams that are good in those sports, kids who play those sports know they exist and therefore it's important to them. Do you see anything in that realm? I think if we, if we take a look at what, what commonality there is to the, the model of our club, for instance, at the University of Arizona, we what I would call it, we are at the, the upper end of what was been the traditional rugby club. I happen to think that universities across the country are going to be taking a look at their competitive club sports and carving a new niche for them where they're not like the, the ski club and the chess club, uh, nor are they like an intercollegiate sport, an intercollegiate sport. But I think if that chases down, we find where we have similarities in how our universities operate their clubs. And if there's a huge disparity, then I, then I don't see the value. If there is not much of a disparity, uh, then I do see a value. So that, that's where we're going to find out how this works. Um, at the end of the day, I believe that like-minded universities, and this would be open to all of them, who adhere to the same admission standards, who adhere or very similar admission standards, et cetera, uh, I think there, 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 is, there is great uh, opportunity for uh, competition between them. I, I want to follow up on – and, and I get the admission standards thing and, and, and that, but if you look at, say, football or basketball or some of our mainstream sports, we're not talking about people who are, who where Mensa and the, and the Nobel Prize in physics are knocking down their door. You know, we're, we're talking about well, – I get that, but, but here's the difference. Football is very definitely an association of, of who you want to play. You play your conference, and you pick and choose who you want to play non-conference. And quite frankly, in football, it's about money. So if, unless it's a good matchup, you're going to get a paycheck at a Southeast Conference school, and, and they'll accept that. So, it's, you know, we can't be compared to football. As far as basketball is concerned, it's somewhat similar because we have conference affiliations that run generally from January, February, March, and then, of course, there's the NCAA tournament. 
but at the NCAA tournament level, the academic standards are, 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 are the same in terms of the base minimums, and um, there is a very much more clear adherence to um, the, the comp- composition of the teams. Now, one of the one of the interesting things about rugby, and this is this is not to cite any one program. This is just to speak in general. Is that if we were to reverse things and go to Australia, where baseball is an emerging sport, and go to Sydney University and put uh, six six Americans, six well maybe Dominicans would be better, but uh, but put six Dominicans on the field at an era, an Australian school, there would be some uproar about it. I think this is a discussion that we need to have in this country uh, about about the number of, of players who have played from the time they're two and three years old. I'm not suggesting for a moment you can't have them. We have a guest player this year from Australia. We have, generally speaking, one, possibly two in our program every year, but we're, that's certainly not the preponderance of our student-athlete base. So I think this is an important discussion we need to have uh, as well. But if I can, I, I want to stay on this a second, because I, I think that, in sports, especially basketball, which is where, you know, baseball and basketball will be your two levels of your two expertise sports outside of rugby. And you would say that I would think that baseball has benefited from the the foreign influence dramatically. I mean, that is correct. Kids don't even play baseball anymore. Okay. And, yep. and then the second thing is I think that basketball has benefited globally from the experience that we've had with some of the play. I mean, really the dream team created a dream for foreign athletes to want to try to achieve at that level, to want to try to be Larry Bird or John Stockton, or let me get a black guy in there, Patrick Ewing or, or, or Michael Jordan. But, you know, I, I think that there's something to be said for having pretty good, foreign talent I'm, and, and, and everybody's going to run their program slightly differently, but is, are we, should we do, and I wasn't talking about life in Arkansas state in terms of a conference. I was more talking about it in terms of a one-off, you know, well, I, I think the that they could be valuable to you for that. Here's the, here's the deal. It's counterintuitive thought for you is that right now, if you take American talent going into European basketball leagues, is that there's a X, there's a flat out, restriction on the number of Americans that you can have on each team. They do that because obviously if we imported, let's say, any five non-drafted but upper division great basketball players and stuck them in Israel, stuck them in the Czech Republic, stuck them in Germany, uh, they would dominate. And as a result, they don't allow that to occur. And that's a discussion that they've had at their end. Now, we're looking at a sport, rugby, which is played in the rugby playing nations from the time to three or four or five years old. I think that anybody who's been around this game understands that a good athlete with that type of experience is an extraordinary, uh, has an extraordinary advantage over athletes who did not. And as a result, we have to say, what is it we're trying to do with our game here in this country as for our athletes to emerge? Competing against teams that, uh, that are full of those guys, yeah, that's why we two overseas all the time. Uh, but on the domestic competition level, I think there needs to be a discussion, and I'm not, I'm not, I do not have the answer for you right now, but I do know that there is a serious issue in perception amongst a lot of college coaches about a situation where you can have multiple six, seven, eight out of 15 grow up in a rugby-playing nation playing at the same time uh, for a different school. I'm not sure what the benefit of that is where uh, – 
whereas I could go overseas and tour and feel perfectly comfortable about playing 15 guys who've been playing since they were four or five years old. Yeah, I think that the, there's a lot of different discussion points here, and there is no black or white answer. I mean, I was just telling these guys offline, you know, I just read an article that New Mexico State has the basketball team playing in March Madness today has eight international players. They got four guys from Canada, two from France, one from Croatia, and one from South Africa. And that's an American college basketball team. I remember a couple of years ago seeing the uh, it was a, it was the the women's golf cha- national champion. It was tweeted out in you know one of these little memes that got kind of popular, and it was a, a, a historically black college, like Bethune Cookman or U R U A P B or one of those scenarios, and everybody was a European that was on the ladies' golf team. So that I mean, it's it's in American college sports. Uh, especially in a non-traditional, uh, you know, American sports, in the soccer, the tennis, the golfs, that sort of thing happens quite often. Yes, but again, we go back to the fact. Uh, I said University of Arizona. The only one I'll be exceptional with is when we had an unbelievable cross-country team because half our team was from Kenya, uh, and that raised a lot of eyebrows. I remember that specifically. But but when you're talking about basketball players coming into the American market, it's flooded with American basketball players now. Are you suggesting for a moment that if New Mexico State could recruit more top Division One players that they wouldn't have those instead? Uh, that's a market issue. The only one I know that really enjoys uh, recruiting internationally just because that's Valparaiso, and they've got a long history of that. We're on their, went out of their 15-man roster. They'll have seven from overseas. Of those seven, maybe two could play and compete at the Division One level, say, in the Pac-12, Big Ten, or something like that. So, again, when you're looking, if you want to compare that to rugby, you're talking about any one of these types of players who would start for any college rugby program in the country. And putting, that, uh, putting a, a tremendous, uh, a tremendous uh, concentration of them in one place, that's an entirely different deal. Now, you want to have a different discussion? I think we could get all the college coaches together and say, listen, if your schools are ready to do this, we'll, take, we'll, we'll disperse all this talent that wants to come here across the board. We'll all take two. And I think that would that would help all of us as we have outstanding leadership on the field of players who have played since they were uh, four or five years old who understand the game as as, uh, as well as as could be expected of any student athlete at the age of eighteen, nineteen, twenty. I think that I think that'd be very exciting. Well, and it, uh, maybe basketball wasn't the best analogy; it just seemed to be topical. But when you look at the uh, when, like I said, the the the, the golf's uh, and you as you said, cross countries, it. it the non the non traditional American dominated sports, the ones the Americans don't go win gold in every Olympics. Um, they, they tend to get quite a few overseas people playing here in the country, and it's not just everyone picks on Arkansas State in life, and I'm not saying that you are, um, but a lot of people use them as an example um, because they win, right? I mean, heck, I was, but but look at I mean UCLA, UCLA. Some of their best players are not American born players. They're over here to study. And they are, they've got a significant amount of international influence on their team, um, but nobody talks about them. You know, Kutztown has another large amount, too. So it's not just – I think a part of it is when you're on top, people are going to find things to shoot a hole through what you got. Um, but it, it, and I understand the other side of the argument, too. I, I was down at Rio Tinto uh, last year watching Lindenwood win the uh, national championship. And after they win the national championship, you got the best player on the field running around with a, uh, a New Zealand flag draped around, or an Australian flag draped around his back uh, at a, an American national championship event. And that, you know, I can see how that sticks wrong with people and, and rubs people the wrong way. And, and certainly the more American kids um, that can be enticed by a scholarship or the resources that we do have in college rugby, the better it is for development as a whole. Um, so I see both sides of the argument. Um, but the other thing is that these are students 
at the school. The whole point of the team is to provide an activity for students of the school, full-time students of the school. So um, that makes a complication. If you look at the charter of club sports at these universities, is to provide leadership opportunities amongst uh, uh, athletic uh, and leadership opportunities amongst student athletes. And uh, that's why I go back to my university, even if I wanted to. We've got a wonderful student exchange program here. Even if I wanted to, and I could, uh, put uh, 15 um Say for outstanding foreign student athletes on the field, they wouldn't they wouldn't sit still for it. They're, they're, we actually do at the University of Arizona. We actually do have parameters of what we can and can't do. And this takes me back to originally what I meant by peer institutions. If you have an institution that really doesn't care how many players come from overseas, then that's great. I do not want to demean you, but it's different than what we're ever going to be able to do. And if you go again to those brands I've talked about, those schools are not going to allow them to simply go out and recruit the planet and have them come in and deny the deny not just one or two spots, uh, which I think is we could all agree is arguably uh, acceptable, but you know multiple spots of uh, of the culture of the school, and that's that's what we've been doing to be successful. We've got you know I've I've listened to people for years talk about what they can't do. We, as I mentioned, are an island. Our closest match is 103 teams every weekend. We've got usually 90 kids in our roster. We, we get funded by a lot of people who think very highly of what we do down here. Do we win every year? Well, we have a winning record. Do we get into the playoffs every year? No. But that's been our mission the entire time. And I'm not sure that you, are, you me, or anybody is going to go to the universities around the country right now and say the model's just changed, and we want you to be as best as you possibly on the field. And if that means bringing in players from all over the world who are really playing countries, they're not going to buy into this thing. That's why I go back to peer institutions. My, my university would not let me do what some other universities do. I don't want to decry them. I'm not criticizing them. It's just as a matter of fact. But, but Dave, isn't a... Isn't an institution like a student athlete, a student athlete, regardless of what country he comes from? Yes, but you have to understand that our administrator, our admissions departments at these universities are going to understand that if you're going to go out and just create a, a uh, uh, an international badminton a championship team of Chinese expatriates, that that's not really benefiting the general overall student body of the university on a percentage-wise basis. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I understand completely what you're saying, and I get it. Uh, but I, I look at it in terms of the val- like I look at the coaching staff, the coaches of most of the colleges around, most of the leading colleges, especially generally American guys. I mean, there's Dave Smith, Sean O'Leary, but I, I consider them American if they they may even be naturalized citizens at this point. So I consider Coach them O'Leary as what. Coach O'Leary is for sure. He's a proud singer of our national anthem. Trust me. <laughs> and and no, and I, and I know that. So I I would, I think that we've we've gotten a lot of value from foreign people in our game. I mean, there's certainly been their, the fair share of takers and and people who were ruinous and cancerous. But there that we have also gotten a fair amount of value from. A lot of the foreign people who've come into our game over the course of years, and no question, I, about and, and no question many about of them, are, and I just, I, and I'm Dave. I mean, I know that you're 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 a you're a you would be a free market advocate as much as anyone, and I get and I understand the like mindedness, and and I believe that's a choice. 
I believe in like you can have a WBA champion, a WBC, and all, you, you can do all that kind of stuff. I I just think that you don't ever. I don't like to have rules because you can always break rules. Like especially like I think that the the eligibility rule was tough on BYU. Regardless of whatever anyone says, going on a mission stinks. It doesn't make you better. I just don't think that when you're 19, 18, or 19 years old, stopping your sport for two years makes you better. That's just my opinion, and that's fine. And but and I get the fact that you don't want to fly in everybody all over the place. But the way to really test yourself against the best is to play the best. And, and that's why we choose to go on tour. If I want to play. 15 players from overseas, I happily go on tour. We go on tour every two years. We play in New Zealand, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, England. Uh, we're going to go to Argentina. Uh, that, that, that's not a problem. We learn. It's like why I tell our kids all the time, we look forward to playing the University of California. You get a good, hard discipline to match. We're not afraid of that. We, we actually voluntarily join a conference so we can play California every year. No, and, so and, and I, anybody. You know what? I, I, think that, I think that at this point, that for at least for the sake of this, I think that we agree to disagree because I, in in reality, I actually like your vision. I think that your vision is 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 great, and I think and I and I and I agree with you on ninety percent of of everything. I but in 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 this one instance, I don't agree, and I don't want it to make it seem like that we're in well, a. No, uh, let me remind the, let me remind you and me because I need to have this reminder to me and all of our college rugby friends out there. The college rugby club does not belong to rugby. It belongs to an institution that sets rules. And that's why I mean, Dave Sitton at the University of Arizona has got a great relationship with the administration. I've been here a long time. They'll listen to me, make suggestions. But if I were to wholesale say that we're going to change the complexity of the University of Arizona Rugby Club, which is owned by the University of Arizona and authorized by it, and students at the university say, hey, I, I can't play on this team because they're all from uh, New, New, Oz, New Oz, Wales, okay? Uh, then, then we've got a problem. We in rugby keep forgetting that college rugby programs, by the very fact they're attached to the campuses, are subject to the rules of that university. And that is not, uh, that's not negotiable. That's not debatable. And that's how these things work. Each of these clubs have charters to them. The universities are paying more and more attention because those people who are not inside college rugby forget that when we take a bus ride or a plane ride or, or show up with a University of Arizona logo on it, we're authorized by the university to do so. And as a result, we have to adhere to the university of standards and rules and regulations. And that's why I go back to peer institutions. This is a very, very important concept. I don't make the policy of the University of Arizona rugby program. The University of Arizona does. They do it in California. They do it at the Ohio State University. They do it Army, everywhere. So that's, that's why this is a more tricky thing than just say just open rugby clubs. We're not open rugby clubs. Yeah, well, we have that issue with USA Rugby making sort of blanket uh, rules for uh, – Competitions that have a lot of differences, differences in geography, differences in culture or history, things like that. And we were talking about the, the new eligibility rules in college, the ones that uh, limit the waiver you have on uh, mission, uh, religious mission, and also on military service. And I was teased at the time when I said something about how 
uh, it would be difficult to tell somebody who'd had military service that when they came back and wanted to play some rugby that they couldn't because that time had counted against their eligibility. And even though I was teased, that actually happened at the uh, National Sevens Championships uh, just recently. Uh, uh, the, the captain of Dartmouth was uh, in the Marine Corps, and when he came to, to play for Dartmouth at the Sevens Championships, he was told he couldn't play because of his military service. So uh, that, those sorts of bad uh, scenarios do actually happen. Alex, I'll give, you a per- I'll give you a perfect example. Okay, At the University of Arizona, we cannot, and, and, this, will be, and this is true at all of your institutions, because of, of various civil rights acts, we cannot discriminate in our program based on age. So any full-time graduate or undergraduate student at the University of Arizona is eligible to be a member of the University of Arizona Rugby Club. But we have to tell them for championship purposes, and I do have a lot of kids like this. I've got you know some 27, 28-year-olds who are attached to the program, but I say you're going to play at our JV level games or if we have a one-off against a club or, or something like that, that's when you're going to get your chance, but otherwise you're going to practice. But we, I mean, that's just an example of the university saying you will not, you will not discriminate Based on age, you cannot. It's a federal law. You know, your, your, your rugby club around the corner is not subject to these types of rules and regulations. And what happens is a lot of people are not involved with day-to-day operations of college rugby. Don't understand some of the challenges that we have as coaches and administrators of college rugby. Because we don't own it. We're not the sovereign. We're not the sovereigns of this thing. So if we see a splintering uh, along different levels of the types of schools, are we going to see splintering on a competitive level? Do we see schools not really caring so much about a national championship, like on the youth level we've seen that? It's possible. It's, yeah, we are splitting. Yeah, yes, we are. I, that's why I believe it's happening. Now, of course, there's, a, there's an entirely new discussion that's going to be quite wild about uh, whether 15s remains uh, – well, I, I, believe, well, I know for Arizona, 15s remains a spring event, uh, and I know that there's some discussion right now about whether or not that uh, particular uh, scheduling matter remains the status quo. So here we go again. So it's going to be very interesting what happens. Well, I, I, I want to get in like, the spring versus fall argument. It, it almost seems it doesn't matter. If you're, if you're dealing with like-minded institutions doing like-minded things, then the teams that want to play in the fall can play in the fall and they can do their thing. And the teams that want to play in the spring can play in the spring and they can do their thing. I think that the whole like uh, obsession with a national championship is kind of, you know, I, I don't know that it necessarily is in play for like, is there, do you really, is it, does it matter that much? I think you're right. It does. If, if you, you could, does it matter or doesn't it matter? I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. Because is it better I to just play a, good games? I, I think that's a fair question. I think that is a fair question. I don't have an answer. I think there's a lot of coaches uh, who have had uh, it's multiple decade experience uh, that are prepared to, uh, to weigh in on this, and, and I'm certainly not going to try to speak for them. I'd be very interested to hear from my colleagues on that very question. And, and the reason that I that I say it, and it's not to, is all this obsession with a national championship really comes down to the fact that only two teams outside of Air Force and San Diego State for a, for a one-off have won the national championship in the past 25 years. 
Right. So, like, does it – so the obsession with that and, and the actual – the two teams that have been the most successful are holding their own championship. So is there still need the need to be obsessed about it or do we – or do you let everybody do what's best for them and grow – the sport within their university as they see fit. I would kind of lean that way. I, I tend to lean the way of let people do what they want anyway. Um, if you're going to have rules, yeah, everybody has to subscribe to them. If you're going to have rules, you, you know, everybody's got to play by the rules if you're going to have them or don't have them. And I would lead to, I might would always say don't have rules because rules hamstring you. And I would lead to don't let people do what they want and you'll see how creative they can be. And I, and I think that that's manifesting itself in the pack 10 or pack eight or pack 12, whatever the hell it is now. Um, you know, Tom Hayden's not playing anymore or, uh, you know, whatever. Um, I don't even know if it was Tom was Jack, right? The quarterback of UCLA, Pat Hayden, Pat Hayden. But anyway, yeah, Pat Hayden. Uh, yeah, Pat Hayden. but you know, I, I think that you just let them go free. And I think that out of that, you'll find some really good stuff. I think that's where the CRC came out of letting somebody go free. And it, and it, well, uh, you made that, that's a great, well, what's interesting is that what you just said is, is pretty profound. I mean, we've been trying national championships for years and arguably, arguably the most high profile event in domestic rugby is the CRC, <laughs> which is an invitational tournament. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, that's live NBC Peacock Sports. That's that's pretty amazing stuff. So we could see breaking away. I, I, that that comes down to we've seen it on on a conference level. We've seen it on the NSCRO, even though they get USA Rugby sanction. We've uh, seen an awful lot of talk about thinking that uh, USA Rugby isn't really the one who should be telling us. How to compete and what we should be competing yeah, for. I think there's going to be there's going to be more of a, of a of a confederacy than a union when we get done with this thing. So, I, and I, I, I think it's step. I think it's okay. Like I think it's yeah. okay. <laughs> Dave, you mentioned the CRC and uh, that being one of the premier competitions in college rugby. Certainly is. We're excited about it. And uh, you know, University of Arizona has had a really good run. At the CRC, and you were able to, uh, you, you played really well last year. You made it to the final. Peter Tiberio had a great tournament. Brett Thompson, a couple of other players, great tournament. But of course, it kind of fell apart at the end because you had all those injuries. Tiberio broke his arm, things like that in the final, so Dartmouth won. But I wanted to get some thoughts about how the team looks going into uh, this year's CRC, but also what is the uh, response you're getting from from the fans, from the alumni, from the administration, and from the players um, when you look ahead to June at PPL Park just outside Philadelphia, USA7CRC.com, by the way. Well, let's, so where would you like to start? Well, the way I look at it this year, we've got obviously losing Peter Tiberio to graduation uh, uh, is the nature of college athletics. The bad news they leave, the good news is they leave because you're constantly turning over, and that's what makes college sports so exciting. So with Peter gone, we're waiting to see Brett Thompson's um, status as it relates to World Cup and whether Coach Nagelby has him scheduled for the World Cup or if he could play in uh, in uh, Philadelphia with us. So that is still a big question mark, and it's out of our hands. Uh, so then we we are uh, we're really working on some of the players that we're bringing into the program uh, via uh, the traditional, which is our 15th program. Ryan Magus uh, comes to mind right now. He's, he's playing very well for us. He's a great runner. He will fit in nicely with our sevens, which, by the way, we've been coding Abelback. 
uh, Jack Arnold back, um, Jake Hayden's coming back, uh, uh, Craig Samoy's back, and these were the heart and soul along with Peter DeBerry on the field last year. So uh, there's quite a bit of experience coming back and leadership that we need. The, the really exciting thing is because of the Carlin Isles, uh, the Carlin Isles uh, phenomenon, uh, we have uh, University of Arizona track and field coach uh, Ted Hardy, is a dear friend of mine, and I are right now looking at prospects of uh, players uh, in his world that uh, that may not make the Pac-12 championships that might want to take a flick at that playing some aside love you like old Carlin did. So, well, we're 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 really. Uh, we're really in a stage right now where we're deep immersed into 15 aside rugby, but at the same time, we're not letting the sevens go. We're getting all of the programming for training, which is three a days, four starting in May. Uh, that's one thing we do. We, we do practice three times a day. Players, uh, we, we put them in dorms and so we run it just like it's a, it's a camp for that. And, uh, and, uh, a little bit of competition over in California and then get ready for Philadelphia. So we're, we're making our plans right now. And the big part of this also, you want to get fans there. I know you worked really hard to get your network of alumni uh, energized, and you've done a good job there. Uh, what's been the response from the alumni? What's been the response from the administration? Uh, and and how have pe- how has this helped the school? I mean, does it does it help the school? There is absolutely no question about that. I mean, the the credibility went to college rugby by an appearance on live television on the same network that has Sunday night football, the same network that has the Olympics, that it's impossible to place a value on that that we can possibly understand. It has been exponential, and it's uh, at the University of Arizona and within Tucson, Southern Arizona, and with our alumni base of about 1,200 around the country for played rugby at the University of Arizona, it's been absolutely a wonderful, wonderful um, uh, occurrence in our history to be involved with it. Well, Dave Sitton, head coach of the University of Arizona and uh, a, a voice many of us recognize very, very well because of your work on television. And uh, I, I, I've had the pleasure of working with you uh, on, on a couple of television things. Really, really love that. And we're so uh, happy that you were able to take the time to be on the show with us. And uh, boy, we covered a lot of ground, didn't we? <laughs> I admire anybody who's still listening. It's, they're 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 true wonders. Well, we admire people for listening every week, so it's, it's no great uh, change for us. Well, we want to thank everybody for listening to the show. Thanks a lot, Dave, for being on the show. Uh, thanks, of course, to Bruce and Pat as well. This is Alex Goff from RugbyMag.com reminding you to check out RugbyMag.com for uh, – all the news that happens every day in all aspects of rugby in the United States, but also check out uh, Rugby Magazine. You can get that on the iPad app the and the Apple Store, or you can also subscribe to RugbyMag.com Premiere and get the magazine through that, along with a bunch of exclusive stuff. Check out RugbyMatrix.com for the uh, RugbyMatrix International Show as well, really not to be missed. And we want to thank you for listening to Rugbymatrix America. Matrix America.